Chapter Twelve of Two Sides to Every Question by Maud Jean Frank. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. Chapter Twelve. Nettie's Neighbours. Something is the matter with Tom. Nettie Alton repeated over and over again to herself, each time with increasing distress. But what it was, whether mental or physical, she could not discover. He must be going wrong, she thought. And yet that cannot be either, for he comes home so regularly, and is off to his business so constantly, to time, every morning, just as he has always done, that that cannot be it. He never does, and he never did, stop out at night. So he is not making bad acquaintances. Yet something is wrong. He doesn't eat as he used, though he tries, or makes a pretense at eating, for mother's sake, and I don't believe he sleeps much, poor boy, for I hear him tossing over and over in the night, and know by the sounds he is awake. I do not think mother has noticed it herself, and I can't tell her it would worry her too much. If I only knew what the wrong is! Ah, but without a clue it was not so easy to conjecture. She had tried him with a few questions herself, but without avail. His only answer was, now, Nettie, don't you bother yourself about me. I'm all right. And she was obliged to appear satisfied with that answer, though she was anything but satisfied in reality. It seemed such a pity to destroy the peace and happiness of their pretty home by this uncertain, uncomfortable state of things. All had hitherto gone on so well, the little house had received many embellishments. It was prettier and more dainty than it had ever been. Tom's weekly money, and the produce of the noisy little machine, had bought many a home comfort, many a little luxury to add to the home-like appearance of the small rooms. The little front garden between Nettie and Tom had bloomed all summer with fair flowers, and the late autumn found late roses and chrysanthemums and petunias vying with each other in the borders, while beds of violets and mignonette were blossoming out again in rich profusion, filling the air with their fragrance. Not a weed was permitted to show its head, not a stone to sully the smooth garden paths. Tom had painted the paling and gate snowy white. He liked to see the white gleaming among the green. He said, It looked so cool and refreshing. The pure fresh air, the sense of freedom and possession, and the quiet rest she enjoyed had wonderfully strengthened Mrs. Alton. She was no longer confined to her large lounging chair, but went in and out among the flowers and trees engaged in light household work, and losing much of that fragile appearance which had seemed to mark her an early victim for the grave. Fragile she certainly was still, and with a far-off look in her eyes that spoke yet plainly of another land and another home by and by. But there was a wonderful improvement, and but for Tom's strangely altered manners they would have been so happy. So Nettie thought, though she did not say it to anyone but herself. And was there no change in Nettie herself? Had her pleasant and pretty surroundings produced no alteration in one who loved fair and pretty things so well? It was not so. Nettie was prettier than ever, soft and pretty and delicate in her tasteful dresses and dainty ribbon and lace. There was a happy light in her eyes, those rich soft eyes that looked so lovingly up from her work upon the flowers and the distant hills. How happy she was among those flowers, tying up or removing dead leaves, or securing depending tendrils. But the sweet face was a thought too pale, for as Nettie's neighbours said, the noisy wheel went round too unceasingly to permit the colour to mount to her cheek, or the strength to her limbs. Nettie's neighbours! Yes, she had found pleasant neighbours at last, very different from those in the little back street. 
The houses were detached, but the gardens were united by fragrant hedges of firs and roses, which had grown up and quite concealed the original fence from view. And it was through the union of these gardens that the first neighbourly action commenced. The orphan's house was situated in no main street. It was simply down a turning, a narrow road, with posts at each corner and green open land on one side. Grass grew even on the road, and the pathway was verdant in the spring with thick herbage, for there was but little traffic in that neighbourhood, and there were only three houses at present, for the unfinished one, left in its present condition, either for lack of funds or hands to finish it, could scarcely be considered a fourth. In the centre of these three houses the Altons were located, and for some time they knew little of their neighbours, they being quite as little acquainted with them. By and by Nettie discovered, through some of her gossiping customers, that the bluff old gentleman who daily trod the paths of his garden as he would have done a quarter-deck, whose voice was so loud and jolly that it would have been heard in a very loud gale of wind, was in reality a seafaring man, a retired captain, who, with his sister and a snug income, passed a very peaceful and happy old age after all the storms of his youth. One might have known that the love of the sea and its belongings still lingered in his heart by the many reminiscences of the past that surrounded him on all sides. He had the orthodox archway over his gate, the jaws of an immense whale, about which a slender drapery of blue convolvuli were twined. Large shells and enormous blocks of coral filled his window ledges, and the veranda was paved with shells of all sizes, forms and colours. Pretty enough, his sister confided to Nettie, but by no means pleasant to walk on, especially in slippers with tender feet. The captain's souls were doubtless impervious to unpleasant impressions. At any rate, as his sister expressed it, he thought everything of his skill in the arrangement of these trophies of the ocean and of the sands of every clime. They made the acquaintance of these neighbours first. It was the captain, rather, who made it. He and his sister had been greatly interested in the arrival of the new tenants for the empty house. The invalid awoke all the old lady's sympathies. The pretty girl aroused all the chivalrous feelings of the gallant old tar. Between them both they resolved that an acquaintance should be made. But the quiet, reserved habits of the new inmates made it for some time a rather difficult matter to get beyond a bowing acquaintance, and that the captain established at once. There came a time, however, when Nettie eagerly claimed the assistance so readily offered, and from that day the captain, his sister Miss Rivers, and herself became close friends. They were real friends, too, each possessing that instinctive refinement that prevents intrusiveness, and at the same time that genuine open-heartedness that is ready to turn every opportunity into kindly helpfulness. Mrs. Alton found a most valued companion in the captain's sister. She was a true and earnest Christian worker, for her heart was in her work, and many a happy hour they spent together. As to the captain, he thoroughly won his way into the hearts of the young folks, and many a rollicking sea-tale mingled with morsels of quaint thought or valuable advice was eagerly listened to by both Tom and his sister. So the Rivers and the Altons, from mere neighbours, became fast friends. On the other side of the Altons' cottage the neighbours were as different as light from darkness. A young married couple with their baby lived here. He, a fine, tall, athletic young fellow. She, a little morsel of a woman, fair and girlish, and playful almost as her own baby, notwithstanding the amusing little matronly airs she sometimes assumed. These young mothers are often so amusing. The husband's brother lived with them, 
but for some time all nettie saw of either of them was when they passed the front palings of a morning after an early breakfast on their way to their business in adelaide she soon made the acquaintance of the young mother through the medium of her pretty baby and as tom once or twice walked into town with the brothers a foundation or excuse for friendship was soon made nettie had never in her life been happier true she still worked hard and the little wheel went round unceasingly but it was so pleasant while she worked to have one and another of their friends dropping in they got used to the click 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 of the machine and if they could not be heard waited for an interval to say what they wished they never hindered her but rather helped she said the old captain remained tom's favourite he liked mr glaveston very well and thought him a jolly sort of fellow but he had less regard for his brother fred the young lawyer's clerk for he could not quite reconcile himself to the easy footing of friendship which seemed to exist between him and nettie it was no part of the programme his fertile brain had mapped out of their future that nettie should yield allegiance in any other quarter than their own little home and thus though fred glaveston made himself doubly agreeable to tom in hopes of obtaining his good offices he won very little by so doing tom was wary and on his guard against invasions if tom only would like fred glaveston it would be so good for him he is so steady so persevering and seems to like him though he is so much older and a little conscious colour stole into nettie's cheeks as the thought came and it would come though she tried to drive it away that perhaps it was not altogether for the love of tom fred so constantly tried to propitiate him or sought his society and that poor tom knew and resented it a very foolish thing to do for after all what could it matter she added to herself sending her wheel round with increased velocity as she did so she was beginning however at last to get seriously alarmed with tom's altered manners and dull drooping appearance he was so evidently acting a part for he kept up bravely in his mother's presence but the moment her bedroom door was closed at night and she always retired early his spirits seemed to fall he became gloomy depressed and silent his sister could do nothing with him and get nothing from him he even shunned his old friend the captain and whenever he came in at one door contrived to make his exit at the other poor nettie what could she do she must confide in some one she must get help and the only source of help she could think of was her next-door neighbour captain rivers i must tell him she thought he's a sensible old man and knows a great deal besides tom really likes him and may perhaps tell him what he would not tell me or mother so she determined to watch her opportunity when her brother had gone to bed for she knew very well that the captain always took a regular fore and aft march up and down the veranda late at night with his pipe in his mouth it was his usual watch he said before he turned in captain rivers called nettie's soft voice over the rose hedge hey what is that you miss nettie bless my stars nothing wrong i hope come in come in and the bluff old captain nearly let his precious pipe fall he was so startled by the unexpected sounds it was a choice pipe too with an amber mouthpiece he would have been sorry enough to have broken it nothing the matter oh hush please i'm coming in to speak to you a moment if you will let me said nettie under her breath and she let herself quietly out at the garden gate and tiptoed along till she was presently on the shelly floor of the veranda where the captain having stowed away his pipe stood curiously awaiting her 
"'It's about Tom,' said Nettie nervously, dashing into the subject at once. "'Captain Rivers, have you noticed any change in Tom? Don't you think something is going wrong? I couldn't ask anybody else, and I know he likes you. You might be able to find out. Or perhaps you know already.' "'Can't say I do,' said the captain, scratching his head uneasily and beginning to pace up and down. "'There's something not quite above board, that's certain. There's a leak sprung somewhere, but where is not quite so clear. Won't he give you a hint?' "'Not half a hint, captain. He's in trouble of some kind, I'm pretty sure. I thought so before, but didn't like to say so. What sort of folks are they that he's among up in town?' "'Ah, well, Mr. Clinton, the principal, he's a thorough business man.' His partner is more of what they term sleeping, I fancy, invested his money in a share, and does not interfere much with anything. Then there's Mr. Delta, the nephew, a nice gentlemanly young man, a little given to speculating, I believe, in mines, so I've heard. In mines, ah, said the captain hastily. Well, I'll waylay Tom, I'll manage it, never fear. Mayhap I'll worm it all out. I'll get him to let me overhaul his log. "'So you go right away to bed, Miss Nettie. Make your mind easy. It will all be fair sailing before long.' And Nettie went in, comforted, and slept tranquilly, more tranquilly than she had done for many a night. She felt so confident that in one way or other that dear old captain would be able to help her, and that all would come right in the end. "'The captain had such a way with him,' she thought. "'He can just say twice as much as other people, and nobody thinks of taking offence and he can find out whatever he likes if he chooses. Now if he can only get Tom alone, there will be no difficulty. However, I can leave that matter to him. He'll manage it. And she closed her eyes in perfect confidence, and went off to sleep as tranquilly as though there was no disturbing element near. End of chapter 12